We are Centrepoint Church. This is a recent recording from our Sunday morning gathering. We hope you can join us at the Odeon Cinema in Guildford, Sundays at 10am. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning and welcome to Centrepoint Church. My name's Chris and it's so great to be with you today. I love gathering together on a Sunday morning in midweek as we come together. And so if you're new, then I just want to welcome you, add my welcome along to Barney's with you this morning. And, uh, and if you've been here for hundreds and hundreds of times, then it's always great to gather together. I love being the people of God together. As always, we love to preach from the Word of God. And so if you can turn now to Joshua chapter 3, uh, then that would be excellent. And if you would like to borrow a Bible, then why don't you stick your hand up and one will come to you in your seat. And uh, why don't you, uh, if, if you haven't got a Bible, then you can keep hold of this one as well. Just write your name on it and you can have it as a free gift from us. So we've been going through Joshua and we've called our series Walking in the Promises of God. And as we've gone through this series, we've been looking at how Joshua took, was encouraged to be bold and courageous and to take a step of faith into the land. And God said, every place where you, your foot treads, that land I will give you. And it was an encouragement in Joshua chapter one about how he needs to step first. And as he steps, um, God will be with him, he, that he would encourage him, that he would never leave him or forsake him, and that he can be bold and courageous as he goes and does so and, 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 uh, with the people as a corporate body. Last week, we heard about Rahab in chapter two and how God loves the outsider, that whoever you are, however you f- feel isolated or uh, outside of the people of God, you know what? God can draw you in. And just as he did Rahab and made her part of the people of God, even though she was uh, someone who was outside of respectability, outside of the people of God, outside of, even of the walls and geographically and location, outside of the right ethnic group at the time, God draw her in and we can see that promises that God has for all peoples and all nations that all can come to him who put their trust in him. And so today I've decided to call this talk First Things First as we go into chapter three. I wonder, have you ever had moments in your life where you just resolve to do something and then instantly it becomes harder? It might be just in these last few weeks that from the, you know, chapter one, you felt, yes, Lord, that's right. I will take that step of faith. I will be bold and courageous. And then as you've gone to do so, suddenly it's just harder. It's like climbing up a mountain and you, you get over one peak and you think that's the top, that's the summit. And then yet there's another one to come and it's just, it's just getting harder or you, you want to lose weight or something. It just gets harder. You start a new job and then instantly stuff gets in your way. Well, As we step into Joshua chapter three, this is now the moment where Joshua is called to start taking steps. And as soon as they do so, there's a big problem. And that is a a, uh, the river Jordan, which they got across, is in their way from crossing into the promised land. Not only is it in the way, but it's at high tide. It is flooding and it's gushing. And yet God is still calling them forwards. And so let's see how he copes with that. And what we're going to do is we're going to read a bit, talk a bit, read a bit, talk a bit throughout today. And we are actually going to do chapters three and four. But I just want to let you know that the bulk of it is in chapter three. So that's most of the talk. So if, you know, if we get sort of half an hour in and you're starting to panic that we've only done halfway, don't don't worry, because we're just going to be a little bit into chapter four. But um, there you go. We, we will try to read as much as possible. 
Hopefully you found it by now then. So let's read Joshua chapter 3, verse 1. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan. And in verse 2, it says, After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the ark. 2,000 cubits is just under a kilometre between you and the ark. Do not go near it. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priests, take up the ark of the covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. Let's just pause there. Throughout the Bible, we see many times where the people of God are encouraged to consecrate themselves. Moses did that. They consecrated themselves from three days just before God was about to do something amazing and powerful. We often see these moments where the people of God are called to consecrate themselves. That means to prepare themselves. For them, that would mean ceremonial washing, making themselves clean, preparing their hearts before the Lord, coming for forgiveness, maybe making sacrifices for their sins. And um, it's preparing before God because God is about to do something mighty. And I wonder, what about you? Before church on a Sunday morning or before meeting midweek, do you prepare yourself? Are you preparing your heart? Are you um, seeking God? Are you praying for our meeting and saying, God, how, how can I encourage the people of God this morning? What might you give me? What, what would you be speaking to God's people as we come into his presence? We're called to prepare ourselves because, and we do that because we expect that God can do mighty things. Are you expecting that this morning? That God can move by the power of his Holy Spirit in your life. Because I am. And, it's impo- and our worship team do. They spend their time preparing the songs, preparing their hearts, saying, God, what are you going to do? And they, and they do that because they, they're expecting that God is going to move. What about you? You know, second thing to mention from this passage is that the Ark of the Covenant is actually mentioned over these two chapters 17 times. And the Ark of the Covenant Basically, it's quite a, a strange thing. We, we read through other Old Testament books that what would happen is that for these um, people, they would, the priests, the Levitical priests, they would carry the ark. And during the day, the way that they would know where to walk is that a cloud would appear above the ark during the day and a fire above the, night, above the ark at night. And so... Um, the priests would look to the cloud by day and the fire by night and where and they would follow that and where that led them that's where they would go and you can kind of imagine the conversations because you would have had the other nations all around and these other nations they would have had kings and and council and governments uh, running them and you can imagine the conversation it might go something like this hey so you know in in our country the way we know what to do and where we're going is that the king tells us and he commands us all and we go forward what about you guys what do you do And and the Israelites say well we've got this box that we carry around and there's kind of a cloud during the day and there's a fire by night. We kind of follow that and that's how we know our sense of direction. It's, it's very odd, isn't it? It's very strange. And yet these people, they know that God, it, God meets, at, meets them at the ark. 
we live in the days, like Joel says in Joel 2, that your young men will dream dreams and your old men will see visions and God will pour out his spirit on men and women alike. And, and we live in that time now. But back then, if you wanted to come into the presence of God, you would meet him at the ark. And they, so they would follow the priests carrying this ark and that's how they would know their sense of direction. They would follow God. And what about you? What about your sense of direction? Do you look to God for your sense of direction? Do you know the ark, it represents Jesus in many ways. So the ark was um, was made out of wood and covered in gold. It was, it was all wood and all gold. And the lid is called the mercy seat. And what would happen is that um, when the people came to ask for forgiveness, they would sacrifice a lamb and they would sprinkle the lamb's blood on the mercy seat. And that would atone for their sins. That would make them right before God. And that's, that's where they would come. That's what, what's on the lid. Inside the ark, there was Um, many things there was a pot of manna that was the bread that God miraculously gave the Israelites as they were wandering around the wilderness there was Aaron's rod and Aaron was uh, Moses's aide who spoke to Pharaoh and this was Aaron's rod was basically a dead stick and when Aaron who was like uh, one of the priests when he uh, on the day of atonement this stick budded miraculously a dead stick coming to life And then there was also a copy of the Ten Commandments in the Ark. Do you know what? Just as all of these happened there, they kind of represent Jesus in some way. And so just as the box was uh, like wood and then covered in gold, do you know what? Jesus is fully man and fully God. He represents both in equal measure, 100% man, 100% God. Just as the people of God, the Israelites came to the ark to come into uh, God's presence and to receive mercy. And uh, you know what? We come to Jesus to get to know God and we receive mercy and forgiveness. And just as Jesus was slain on the cross, um, he, he is the seat of mercy that we now come to. And you know what? Just as God provided miraculous manna, bread for um, their sustenance. You know what? Jesus is known as the bread of life. He is the miraculous sustainer who we can come. You know, we don't live by bread alone, but we live by every word that comes out of God's mouth. And Jesus is the word of God. And you know what? Just as Aaron's rod went from death to life, Jesus was buried in the grave and rose to life again. And he uh, Aaron gave the Ten Commandments and Moses gave the Ten Commandments, but Jesus fulfilled all of those commandments and many more. He is the law for us so that we can come into his presence by grace. He has fulfilled it all, the old covenant and the new covenant, so we can come before him. And so my question to you is, do you look to God for your sense of direction? And do you prepare yourself to meet with him? Let's carry on. Verse seven, and the Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel so that they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Well, how will you know that God is with you? How do you know? When you step in the waters, that's when it will stop. Do you know what? It's just unbelievable that yet again, just like in Joshua chapter one, where God was encouraging um, Joshua to step into the land and every place where you put your foot, every place where it treads, that's the land that I will give you. You step and I go with you in exactly the same way. Here we're getting the same things again. When you reach the Ed of Jordans, 
go and stand in the river. It's not that God is going to part the river beforehand. It's that, no, you need to go and stand in the river and then God is going to do a mighty thing. Do you know what? In the same way, Romans 8, we get these amazing verses of of all of God's promises of the gospel and in Romans 8 towards the end it says then what shall the me say about all of these things if God is for us who can be against us you know God is with us and he won't leave us and he won't forsake us and yet he is calling he's not saying to us that as we approach things as we step into the promises of God as we as we come up against things that he's calling us to into he doesn't say I'm just going to clear the deck so you can walk on through no he says you need to step into the waters. You need to take the step of faith first. But as you do so, I'm going to be right there with you. And so it carries on. Joshua chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 9. Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites and Jebusites. See, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. Wow. Do you know, we've got these verses here where God is saying, that you need to drive out before you those seven nations, the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. And I just, I, I, yeah, I, I meant to mention this at the bidding, but there might be just a few objections in this. And I know that as I've been talking to people about this series, some have said to me, Chris, is it right that God would command the Israelites to basically, in their words, to cause mass genocide of these seven nations to go in and strike up the land. And do you know what? This morning, I don't have time to spend a lot of time on this, but I do want to say three quick things in answer to that question, which I'll cover now briefly before we carry on. And the first one is this, that God is God. God is not accountable to you. It's easy for us to think that sometimes. And you might be thinking, you might be here today and you might be thinking, well, God, how could you do that? How could you let that thing happen? How could you, how could you allow that thing to take place? Surely, God, you, you need to explain yourself about this. How could you say this to those people to go and take out these seven nations? Well, do you know what? God is God. And uh, a few... Um, evenings ago we had our amazing worship night and it was just such an excellent time as we gathered together and uh, I, do, I do recommend you coming to them and during the evening um, Jo Young she just read some amazing verses from um, Isaiah chapter 40. Let me, let me read you some for you. It says things like this because you know Israelites and other people would have these questions who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Imagine all the water in the world. Who has measured it in the hollow of his hand? Or with the breath of his hand marked off the heavens? My hand can just about mark off half a bit of A4. Or who has held the dust of all the earth in a basket? Or weighed the mountains on scales? And the hills in balance? And who can fathom the spirit of the Lord or instruct the Lord as counsellor? With whom will you compare God? And to whom image will you liken him? 
Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was formed that who has done all these things? Do you not know that the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth? He will not grow weary or tired and his understanding no one can fathom. Amen. God is God and God is not accountable to you. He is unfathomable and unreaching and so much bigger than what we can understand. And I know that 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 is one of three answers to this and that might not satisfy everyone. So what about this one? Number two. These nations were absolutely horrendous. These seven nations were involved in all sorts of horrendous and abhorrent things. Child sacrifice, rape, pillaging, just to name a few. And do you know what? We know from Rahab's story that they had 40 years to repent. Rahab knew that they were coming into the land. She, she mentioned that there was fear was amongst all of the people because they had heard that this was happening. And so they'd had this time to repent, but they chose not to. And do you know what? God is a just God. And he doesn't just wipe sin under the carpet, but he deals with it. And this is just an unbelievable moment where God chooses to enact his judgment. Having given them time to repent, he says, no, now is the time I want you to take the land. And, and he is enacting his judgment for his people. You know, a time will come when God does the same to the rest of the world. He is a just God. He is a loving God. He is a God who is unreaching and unsearching, but he's also a just God and a holy God and sin must be held to account. And you can choose for yourself. Is it yourself that's going to pay for your sin or you are going to allow someone else? That person can be Jesus who died on the cross to pay the price for many people's sin, whoever choose to put their trust in him. Do you know what's also amazing news about this is that if you are someone who have had things that have unjustly happened to you in your lifetime, do you know what? You can trust in the living God who will not wipe it under the carpet, but will bring his righteous judgment. That's number two. And then number three is just to mention that this specific judgment he gave was at that time for these people. It's not something that we can rightfully take for ourselves today. And we can't enact justice and judgment on our behalf. No, we, we don't do that. We don't take that from out the passage. But what we can see is that right from Abraham, the God gave promises to Abraham that through his descendants, through his people, that all nations would be blessed. And actually, Joshua, we, we're going to see that throughout um, the series of Joshua, that actually they're meant to be a blessing to all the nations. Even Rahab being someone that's from one of those nations coming into the people of God is a reminder of that even itself. And then as you get into um, the New Testament, we see Jesus actually following on this theme. And so in Matthew chapter 14, there's this amazing moment where Jesus is speaking to Jewish people and they're sitting down and there's about 5,000 gathered together and you might have heard of it, it's the feeding of the 5,000. And he's just got a few loaves and some fish and Jesus miraculously feeds all these 5,000 people. And do you know what happens is um, at the end of feeding all those people, 12 baskets are collected in. Do you know what? That is a direct reference right back to this time. The 12 tribes of Israel going into land. And Jesus is saying that my, I am sufficient for every single person who is part of the people of God. And it represented in the abundance of uh, bread that was overflowing after he fed everyone in those 12 baskets. There's a representation that Jesus is enough to satisfy all the people of God. 
Do you know what? Just one chapter later in Matthew chapter 15, Jesus is now not speaking to Jews, but he's speaking to Gentiles. That's people who don't know God, who aren't ethnically part of the people of of God, part of the Jewish uh, nation at the time. He's speaking to Gentiles and this time he's feeding 4,000 people. He miraculously does another amazing miracle. And at the end of feeding those uh, Gentiles, how many bosses then collect in? Seven. And that is another direct reference right back to Joshua chapter three. And he is saying that just as his grace and his gospel and his blood is sufficient um, and abundantly sufficient for all the 12 tribes of Israel, he's also abundantly sufficient for the nations of this world and for that specifically for those seven nations. And so whether you're part of the people of God or whether you're not part of the people of God, you can come to Jesus and he will satisfy your soul. He will provide for you. He will bring you into his, his kingdom. And through Abraham's seed, which Jesus comes, he is the great provider. He is the blessing to all nations and you can come to trust in him. And so God is God and he is not accountable to you. He will enact his righteous judgment on all the nation and he has a plan that whoever comes to put their trust in Jesus and who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. Let's carry on. Verse 14. So when the people broke, cramp, broke, broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is in flood all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zerathon, while the water flowing down to the Sea of the Arabah, that's the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. Wow, unbelievable verses. Right in the middle of this, Joshua decides to stop to give us a weather report and the weather report is that this is harvest time and the Jordan is at full flood. When we step into the promises of God, do you know what? There's always an excuse to turn back. You know, the flood waters were at their most high. It was exactly at the time when it was most impossible to cross that God called the Israelites to go and cross into the Jordan. Why? So that they would know that it was never by their own power. It was never by their own might, but it was a miracle from the Lord that they would cross through again through the waters just as 40 years earlier Joshua, uh, Moses and the Israelites had done. And do you know what? I believe that all of this is a picture of baptism. The Israelites, they walked into their inheritance, into the promised land, not by their own merits, but by God's might. And it's a picture of baptism because baptism is not a symbol that you have made it as a Christian, that you're a perfect being, but it's something you do right at the start. Right at the start of walking into all the promises of God and walking into all that it means to be saved by grace, that's when you get baptised. And so baptism is a sign that you know all the passages that talk about baptism it's like repent and believe if you are someone who has put your trust in jesus and you have repented of your sins then the first step of obedience is to pass through the waters it's to be baptized and often people think that christians are perfect i know i was chatting to my barber the other day and he was saying i couldn't possibly come to church because i know everyone at church is perfect and i'm just not i wouldn't fit in do you know what that's a complete lie what Christians are are imperfect people who have been forgiven by a perfect God. 
and they come to church to celebrate all that Jesus has done and all that God has done. Do you know, in fact, the first few chapters of each of the Gospels, we find John the Baptist reminding the people of God, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the people who are the religious elite at the time, remind him of this exact thing because they had spent their time um, living by so their so-called rules they've been trying to tell themselves that in order to be pleased to please God and to know God you have to do this and do that and do this and do that and you know what that is just not the case and so John the Baptist what does he do he calls them to a baptism of repentance and where does he call them right back here to the Jordan River river that's where he's baptizing them. He's calling them back in. He's reminding them about what Joshua and the Israelites did to enter into the promised land. He's reminding them, do you know what? It was never by your rules. It was never by all these things that you do, but it was by going back to the, back to the Jordan and reminding them it was at full flood that God entered people into the promises of God. It was then, and it wasn't your own doing, but it was by God's grace. And so he, remind, he calls them all back. He's not calling people that aren't Christians. He's calling the Jews. He's calling the Pharisees. He's calling them back and saying, you need to repent and you need to remind yourself that this is all a work of God's grace. And then he goes on to say, but one will come whose sandals I'm not fit to untie and he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. Do you know that person is Jesus? And we get the amazing promises of God through him that we can receive his Holy Spirit today. You know, you might have dismissed Christianity because you felt like you could never live up to all the rules. Do you know what? It's never about that. It's always about a relationship, about coming into God's presence and allowing his Holy Spirit to fill you and lead you and guide you. And I want to encourage you that if you are someone who's a Christian and you've started to puff yourself up and put yourself on a pedestal and maybe look down on other Christians because they, that you're, or maybe you've, you've gone through life situations, you think, well, why is he getting the opportunity to serve in this way? Or why is he getting the opportunity? Do you remember, you've done nothing to deserve any of this and neither have they. It's all a work of God's grace. And when you remember that, you treat each other with respect and kindness and love and you don't look down on anyone because you all remember you're all here by a work of God's grace. The people will pass through the waters to walk into their inheritance and Jesus leads us into all the promises of God when we trust in him and we receive all his goodness through grace. We remember it's all a work of his hands. And so just as we finish off, let's dive into chapter four because that's the, the end of this narrative part of the story. And do you know what? In chapter four, we get this moment where Joshua now, they're, they're now, they're, they step into the water, the waters have parted and you'd expect there then Joshua to get onto the other side and throw a massive party. Hey, look at me. We've done it. Look at this amazing miracle that we've accomplished. He doesn't do that. Do you know what? He keeps the priest, the, the whole first part of Joshua chapter four is him keeping the priest standing in the middle of the Jordan. And then he, he encourages one person from each of the tw- tribes to go and get a big stone and he gets them to place it in the midst of the Jordan where they are. And so they pile up these big piles of 12 stones right in the midst of the Jordan. So that any time as the, the waters of the Jordan uh, go down and people look at this massive pile of stones that are in the Jordan, they ask each other, what's that about? They say, hey, God did an amazing thing for the Israelite people as they passed through on dry ground. And then it carries on in verse 19. It says this, on the 10th day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan. So now they're leaving the Jordan and they come up at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the 12 stones that they had taken out of the Jordan. And he said to the Israelites, in the future, when your descendants ask their parents, what do these stones mean? Tell them, 
Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground, for the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. And he did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. First things first, as they step into the promised land and as we step into the promises of God, we give God all the victory. As they did that, they piled up the stones right in the midst of the Jordan. They didn't throw a big part of themselves, but they piled it all up. They praised God as a memorial to say, yes, God has done an amazing thing. But then they didn't just leave them buried underneath the waters, underneath the depths. They then got those stones and they took them up to Gilgal and they put them on a, on a high place and they put them all up there and they repeated the same, the same thing. They set up these memorial stones so that if anyone pointed to them and asked, why do you do this? They could say, hey, God has done a mighty thing. Do you know in the same way, we are called to cherish and remember those times where God has done mighty things in our hearts, but we're never called to leave them buried in the depths of our hearts. We instead, we are called to set up our lives as a lasting memorial so that if anyone comes to us and says, why do you do your finances like this? Why do you do your marriage like that? Why do you do your singleness like that? Why do your dating like that? Why do you do your relationships like that or your, 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 uh, your work like that or your, your friendships, your neighbourhood? Your, why do you do things like that? It is a lasting memorial and we say, because God has done a mighty thing in my life. Because he has given me grace upon grace. Why do you do your forgiveness like that? Because God has forgiven me. We don't keep our lives buried, but we set it up as a monument. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. That's what the church is called to be. You know, today, I've tried not to give too much application, although I'm sure the Holy Spirit has been speaking to you about what all these things mean. But instead, what I really want you to consider is what are the implications for your life? What does it mean for you to trust in God for your sense of direction? What does it mean to you to prepare yourself and, you know, to consecrate yourself and expect to meet with him every time you meet with the people of God? What does it mean to you to listen and to look to God and to what he says and trust him even when the rivers are full flowing at high tides? What does it mean to you to take that first step into a scary place, into a place where you don't know how it's going to turn out, into somewhere that looks impossible? What does it mean to you to praise God and see him come through and give him all the glory when he does? What does it mean to you to allow your life to be a lasting memorial to God? I wonder, what's that mean? Let's, let's start to get the band back up. Do you know what? If we're going to be a people who walk in the promises of God, who take steps of faith, then first things first, we need to place him at the centre of everything we do. It's all about Jesus. We look to him for our sense of direction, our purpose, our courage, our values, our life, our gifts, our service, our money. It's all his. And we say to him, Lord, here I am. Send me. And do you know... I've mentioned this many times already over this series that this, the application of this book, Joshua is predominantly not an individual book. And so I just want you to ask you to consider as we get ready to worship again and we come together as a body of Christ together, let's just consider what would church look like? What would we look like as a people of God if we trusted in God for our sense of direction for this church and where he was calling us to? What would it look like if week after week after week we prepared ourselves and become expectant with the word of God alive, expecting him to meet with us and to speak to us through our meetings? What would it look like if we listened and looked to God for our sense of direction? We did what he told us to. 
What would it look to him if we took steps of faith, even when the, the rivers are flowing, even when we weren't sure exactly how it was turned out, but we trusted that he was going to go with us anyway? What would it look to him as, as he broke through and, and broke chains in people's lives and came through time and time again that we gave him all the glory and all the praise and all the adoration? What would it look like if we were a church that was a city on a hill, shining bright in mission into our communities and into our workplaces, into all the lives that we meet, and that we were a lasting memorial that anyone who could look at Centrepoint Church would say, God is with them. God has done a mighty thing. God is amazing and powerful. I want to encourage you as you press into this week, whatever it might be that you're getting involved in, that you be someone who is expecting, trusting that God is going to do mighty things through you, through the church, through our lives, together as the people of God. Let's be people that trust in the promises of God and all that he does. Amen. for listening. Please do come and visit us Sundays 10am at the Odeon Cinema in Guildford. We look forward to seeing you.